Welcome to the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, this is the first of four cluster-related conversations that we are going to have looking at cybersecurity, uh, the biosciences sector on PEI, Ocean Tech, and others. And we're very, very excited to start this series off with a conversation with Rory Francis, who's the head of the PEI Bio Alliance. Yeah, we think that this is a good place to start. Uh, I think the uh, Bio Alliance uh, has probably been uh, maybe one of the more successful new clusters developed in Atlantic Canada for quite some time. They started 15 years ago, went from uh, nothing basically to a fairly significant part of the PEI economy. In our conversation, uh, Rory mentions that uh, they they had uh, $365 million of revenue attached to the sector uh, in the most recent uh, survey with 2,200 employees. And uh, that might not seem like a lot, but uh, in a, in a, for a population of 170,000 to have 2,200 well-paying jobs is a significant uh, contribution to the economy on the island. And um, he gives us some lessons, I think, that are uh, worth uh, noting for other jurisdictions trying to figure out how to grow their economy and whether or not they have the possibility uh, and the assets to uh, focus on a specific cluster of activity. So um, it's a very interesting um, start to our series. I think anybody who's interested in economic development, interested in cluster development, needs to listen to this conversation. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he he does provide a lot of insight into how, what is the role of government, of in- industry, of the post-secondary education system, of research organizations, but crucially, that intermediary organization like the BioAlliance itself. So what does it do to try and, to try and catalyze or stimulate activity that's going to lead to better outcomes. And I think that is uh, an important learning for the entire region, right? What is, you know, what is that intermediary role? And I think that's probably the best lesson uh, of the Bio Alliance. I did appreciate his discussion around, you know, the changing minds and the mind, the shift that was needed to say that we actually can compete. There's absolutely no reason why a little place like PEI couldn't compete in a global marketplace if it does the right things, if it creates the right conditions for growth in a in a sector such as bio uh, biosciences. Well, uh, you know the, uh, the 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 importance of having an arm's length intermediary like the Bio Alliance, I think, is key. Um, this is what uh, the Canada's Ocean Supercluster, which will be looking at uh, in a future podcast has done. And it's a a collaboration between public sector and private sector, uh, academia, uh, and other uh, interested players uh, to bring all the resources together to focus on a specific sector. So it's a very important starting point. And as Rory pointed out, you've got to get the model right, right out of the gate. And he also talked about understanding what the outcomes should be so that you can be measured on performance because that's the only way you're going to get funded either from the public sector or the private sector is to demonstrate success. Yeah, early on in our conversation, he 
he sort of cryptically talks about other initiatives that he thinks are doomed uh, in Atlantic Canada, and he didn't elaborate on that. And I don't think we were trying to call out any other initiatives either. But I think he, you know, his view is you got to have that right fundamental model. And I think there's a lot of learning in this in this conversation today about what that model is, what's the components, how it's funded, everything else. So I think it's going to be very, uh, very interesting to to uh, the listeners. So without any further uh, ado, here is our conversation with Rory Francis, uh, CEO of the PEI Bio Alliance. Rory, the Insights podcast is focused on how Atlantic Canada can grow a strong and durable economy in the years ahead. This podcast is part of a series we are doing on emerging industry clusters in the region, such as ocean technology and cybersecurity. Can you start today by telling us a little bit about your career journey? I think our audience would love to hear uh, how you got started and ultimately how you ended up running the PEI Bio Alliance. Uh, well, thank you very much for the opportunity to join you, David and, and Don. Uh, great pleasure. Um, well, I, I won't spend too much time on the you know the, the bio, except that I was one of those two-room school kids <laughs> way back in the day in uh, you know, Fortune Bridge, Prince Edward Island. So I'm a, a local a local guy and um, went to Mount Allison University and um, and became a geologist and a petroleum geologist at one point, back to University of Waterloo for a master's hydrogeology. Uh, so water, uh, water resources, groundwater resources, and, and uh, came back to Prince Edward Island. It was, was supported actually by government, which is, uh, was a good idea at the time. I think it's still a good idea where you have gaps in in uh, your human resources and uh, so I did a master's at Waterloo and came back to work in the, with the province then uh, in uh, Department of Environment kind of equivalent um, ended up in a deputy minister role after several years kind of working through the ranks uh, and uh, with the Jogis government actually at the day and then spent uh, actually 17 years in various deputy minister roles and uh, including a few years uh, succumbent to the, to the biosector bef uh, before kind of leaving government kind of officially. Uh, so a lot of public sector experience both on the economic side as well as the um, social side of things, deputy minister of agriculture, fisheries, forestry, uh, health and social services environment uh, along the way. So, give me a good insight into how governments work, both federally and provincially, and and public policy, uh, what that was all about, and and uh, enjoyed the um, small jurisdiction opportunity to actually get things done as a deputy minister and working with some great ministers and leaders, other public servants who. Um, you know, in a small jurisdiction, you can live to see the results of your efforts. You can take a really good idea to cabinet um, on Tuesday and, and actually get an answer and be on, on with the job in, in a week. So big jurisdictions can't do that kind of thing and being nimble. And uh, I think it's part of our story, frankly, is being nimble and being able to move quickly as opportunities arise is a, is a real advantage and, and we try to use our size to advantage in that respect. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, never had a 
day in the public service I didn't enjoy and uh, worked with great people and got some things done. As I say, had an opportunity to build, um, I was say, uh, a number of skunk works that are still existing in various forms uh, around the province on, on both economic and social policy areas. Um, and the BioAlliance was one of those, which actually came to light, came, came into being when I was deputy in agriculture. Uh, and we um, was there for seven years, so we had some time to think about how to get some things done outside of kind of core mandate. And um, so we created something which was called the Belvedere Life Science Research Group, which was a, uh, really more uh, focused on, on research and, and innovation and invention uh, and brought together a number of uh, partners in university, veterinary college, the Ag Canada people, the Food Technology Center, no money, just ideas, and and put some. It was the beginning of a of a collaboration around you know ideas that required multiple uh, multiple partners to get things done, both the public sector and we realized pretty quickly private sector as well. And um, so that was kind of the beginning of this idea um, that I would sort of give uh, other. Uh, colleagues some uh, significant credit on uh, of being able to create some new economic development uh, potential based on um, on the ability to commercialize technologies related to life sciences bioscience call it what you what you will um, and, and that was kind of a beginning I, I went off then to uh, uh, deputy minister health role for for four years, and um, so others picked up the baton, including uh, the premier of the day, uh, Pat Bins, uh, who was, on one hand, I think a little concerned about all this biotechnology talk. That was a bit of a scary topic. You might remember back then in some you know, Frankenfoods, there was a, a whole different attitude of what is this new technology area in the public eye. And on the other hand, um, Premier Bins, could see the future and, and knew that these things actually might really matter in these areas of technology. And so he was a champion. Uh, some uh, Wade McLaughlin came in as president of the university. Wade saw what we were doing and became quite enthusiastic about it from a university standpoint. What could their role be? Uh, how could they benefit from being a partner in this? Uh, and um, and others in Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agencies um, were also uh, some Rory Beck, who was uh, has unfortunately left us quite a few years ago now, but Rory was also a champion. Those kind of folks uh, came back to me and and said, "Could you help us put some structure to what we're trying to do?" Uh, particularly in light of some work that the premier and and um, and that, that particular team I just mentioned uh, had uh, efforts they put into bringing the National Research Council Institute for Nutrisciences and Health, as it became called, uh, to Prince Edward Island as a, an important step in, in building out the science and technology platform in a particular focused area. So um, that was important, but there was still kind of nothing really structural about what was going on. And that was what I was asked to do is, is put some structure to it. And long story short, it, that became the BioAlliance through 
a lot of um, thinking about you know, what other jurisdictions were doing, how they were doing it, what model might work for Prince Edward Island, given our peculiarities and partnerships and so on, and uh, brought a board together. Uh, Regis Duffy was our first chair of the board, so a bulletproof gentleman with, with great, you know, great experience and, and a mind for innovation and commercialization of technologies that uh, we all know well at this point, uh, but having you know Regis and and others, you know a dozen others around the table, you know with a vision that that was shared about what this might all be, uh, was really important to to getting things off the ground. We can talk a little more about the model because I think that's really important in terms of some of you know what mattered eventually, but that was kind of how I got to the BioLines uh, from there. Uh, Rory, before we get into a deeper discussion about the BioAlliance, uh, uh, from a previous conversation, you indicated an early involvement in an effort to build a health research cluster in St. John. You may know that they've they started to do some more work on that now. Can you tell us a bit about that experience and why you didn't get the kind of tractions um, you have found in your own efforts uh, on the island with the BioAlliance? Yeah. Yeah, that was was fairly early on, so um, yeah, we were probably very much in in the learning phase ourselves. But we had enough traction that I, I guess um, I had some things that I thought I could offer the group there uh, in terms of advice, um, and and it was a group that included um, the University of New Brunswick and uh, health the health system, a college system. Um, community-based leadership and, and so on in, in, uh, in terms of the, the city, I think, or part of the city's infrastructure. Um, you know, some, a couple of, you know, very good conversations, some, you know, smart people involved for sure, kind of a recognition of some new capacity that had come into play uh, in terms of the Dow campus, I think, which was relatively new at that time uh, in St. John. Um, so, you know, we always go into these things with great, um, idealism and <laughs> ambitions and so on. Uh, but there are some things that really matter in terms of an economic development. Um, if, if that's the outcome you're looking for is, is, you know, putting up and de defining success is a really important part of the conversation, quite frankly. Um, and, um, so what was missing uh, was private sector. There, there was no private sector kind of in the room. Everyone understood the importance of the private sector, but part of the conversation was very much about, because it's, it's, there is a model uh, of economic development which would say, well, really the, the product that we are pursuing here um, in, in this kind of cluster idea, perhaps that a, a community is developing, is very much about ideas and, and intellectual property and it's research driven and the outcome that you're looking for is high quality research, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do that. That's, there are places in the world where that's their model. Um, and, but you have to be really, really good at that. And you have to be, you're, you're then depending on bringing in probably mostly pu public sector dollars to drive that funding. Um, and you know, maybe some private as well. If you have, 
if you have kind of contract research organizations which are private sector, then that is also an economic generator. So, so those are definitely economic generators, but it's a different outcome, different model than if the outcome you're looking for is we're going to build successful businesses. It's totally different. And if you don't kind of decide that really clearly, if you're kind of ambiguous, is this well, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you're probably going to fail because your strategy is going to be um, not well developed. You're going to be trying to do the wrong, too many of the things that, that are kind of going to cross up. Doesn't mean you need, you, you absolutely need in, a, in the model where you're, you're commercializing technologies and helping companies develop and, and succeed. The science and technology underpinning is absolutely crucial but it's enabling. It's not the outcome. It's the enabling condition. It's the, it's, you know, the, the, you know, it's the, the intellectual property that, that becomes the, the products and services that your, the businesses are, are selling. So you just have to be very clear on what movie you're in and, and how you're going to, uh, and how you're going to define success. And then that, you know, drive strategy from there because, you know, how you define success is going to be quite different. And your strategies are going to be different and how you spend your money and how you allocate resources and how you expect other partners to behave, what role you play if there is a sort of a central organization, which I strongly believe there has to be in, in these things. There has to be a coordinating, facilitating structure, a catalyst that is is what kind of brings together the partnership. So we spent a good bit of time and a fine gentleman that we still work with uh, by the name of Stuart Baker, who lives not too far from you folks uh, these days in, in St. John. Um, uh, he was part of the, the group who, you know, he has a very interesting model for putting together uh, these kinds of uh, partnerships and, and what matters and what doesn't and, and asks you a lot of important questions as you're doing the design work. So uh, Stuart was kind of part of that work early on and, and helped us to map out who needed to be involved and, and uh, what are the, uh, what is the role of the organization that we're developing here uh, and, and making sure, you know, as you learn as you go, but, you know, if you're mowing too many other people's grass in what you think your role is, you're probably in trouble already. So, you know, we have other government agencies who believe they have a particular role uh, and we have other uh, private sector organizations and so on. So you really have to understand the environment you're in and and make sure that you can build those relationships that are going to be the difference between everyone kind of in a boat rowing together versus a serious tug of war on opposite ends of a rope. All kinds of energy being expended going absolutely nowhere. So that really matters. And it's, you know, it seems like um, a lot of work and, and it is, but if you don't get the, the foundation right um, or reasonably right, I mean, you can always improve it over time, which we have, uh, but you're going to have a really tough time if you don't get started properly. And, and I see things, frankly, right now, not too far from home here of, of new initiatives that are I think doomed because they've got the initial conditions wrong. So that, that's, it's just that easy. If you don't kind of, you know, you, you learn as you go, but uh, so I know we're going to talk about, you know, lessons learned, but that's um, 
you know, getting the right start. Um, there's a, there's a, a little phrase, I'm forgetting how it goes, but uh, um, well begun is half done or something like that. It's just that, you know, old adage. <laughs> well, you know, we've been uh, looking at uh, successful cluster development in Atlantic Canada. It's my opinion that the uh, bioscience cluster on the island is is probably the most successful cluster that's been developed in our region in the last, uh, pick a date, 50 years. Um, the BioAlliances uh, uh, has only been around for about 15 years, as I understand it, but it's already had a, an enormous economic impact on the island. Can you talk about the economic impact today? Where is it in terms of employment, number of firms, GDP impact? Can you uh, give our, our, our audience an idea of, uh, of how big it is right now? Sure. Um, yep. And, and it's been, you know, if we go back 15 years and kind of draw the graphs, which we have of, of some of the metrics that our board has adopted as how we define success, it has been, you know, kind of a, I would say slow, but sure. Some think it's fast, but 15 years is a blink as we know. Um, but it's bottom left to top right. It's just been that kind of steady. It's no no kind of hockey stick to this. It's just been keep you know keep on uh, track with with setting targets and 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 so on. We're now sixty companies thereabouts in the cluster. Uh, about half of them are you know grown up here locally, Prince Edward Island, or spun out from other companies. And about half are attracted from other parts of Canada or other parts of the world. We can talk about that as well. Uh, we just did a 2020 survey of all our companies. We do this annually. Uh, just got the results, really. We haven't. So this is breaking news because you folks are the first to, <laughs> first to hear. Uh, is uh, that our, our um, gross sales uh, are now over $365 million. Uh, a year ago, it was 216 million. So through the pandemic, we've actually added 100 million dollars in sales, which is a a bit remarkable. Now it is driven by something we were expecting because of, we had some new companies that really moved from you know their kind of phase, early phase R and D product development to serious commercial sales in 2020. So. That was a big driver. Some, and these are companies that, frankly, didn't exist five years ago. Uh, and then a couple of our other uh, bigger companies put up really good numbers as well. And a lot of the smaller players that are just getting into uh, commercial sales. Add. So it's a combination of uh, factors that added to that. So that was wonderful to see. Uh, probably 300 million of that is export sales. Um, the, there's now about 2,200 employees in the sector, so we've been really pushing. I'll come back to that later, but uh, employment numbers have, you know, in the last three or four years, five years, been increasing. You know, for us, it's rather dramatically. I mean, it's not dramatic in any big centers, but given our labor pool and so on, it's really been straining things um, region and across the region because our labor pool is largely regional. Um, 200 million, uh, sorry, 20 million in R&D in 2020. Payroll is now over $100 million a year. 
capital expenditures were over 86 million. So just kind of think about that. You know, that's all going into trades and, and um, you know, equipment manufacturing, some of which is, is local and, um, and building stuff, uh, expanding. Um, and um, investment attraction is the other metric that uh, our board has adopted. And because we work with so many early stage companies and, you know, that's the, the, the growth strategy is not bringing in big companies um, that tends to not be terribly successful in the bio world. So it's really identifying, you know, companies and management teams and technologies pretty early on and, and showing them why PEI is the right place for them to build their business. Uh, there was about 61 million investment attraction. Uh, so that's again, new money coming in over the wall from other parts of Canada, other parts of the world, investing in these companies uh, and, and growing them. So pretty, those are impressive metrics. I mean, I'm, I'm objective on this. These are not my numbers. These are the company's numbers, right? This is not us. We hope we're creating conditions that help these things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we are, but it's the companies that are putting up these numbers. Um, so, so that's kind of the picture right now in terms of, of economic impact. Um, David would be able to translate in his head what that means in terms of GDP and all those things. I can't do that, but those are the, um, those are the metrics that we pay attention to. And, and those are the kind of, you know, areas where we're targeting growth over the next five years. We'd have just released a strategic plan this summer. So our, every four years or so. We revise and update and see what we've achieved and, and so on. Uh, and uh, so these numbers are really putting us on a nice track for our targets, uh, 2025 targets. So I think I can't do the GDP math in my head, but it would be significant. <laughs> I, I will say this. The problem is that P, the denominator is so small on PEI. So if you looked at on a per capita basis, $365 million industry in Ontario, you'd be looking at a $35 billion industry. Yep. Yep. So now, just imagine a bioscience cluster in Ontario of $35 billion. It would be impossible. The, 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 the entire cluster in Ontario is a fraction of that. So that's this is the problem with Prince Edward Island because it's really only the size of a small city. When you start looking yep. at these things adjusted for size of the economy or population, it's 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 really remarkable. Even the three hundred million Rory of exports is yep. amazing. I just wanted to ask you quickly. It's an interjected question here, based on what you just said. I agree with you about the challenges attracting the big firms, but I did hope that Atlantic Canada and particularly Prince Edward Island would have got some of that vaccine manufacturing capacity investment. The Feds put hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, they were talking about diversifying that across the country. There's new manufacturing facilities in the West, in Ontario, in Quebec, and very, very little capacity to, to manufacture vaccines here. Um, I don't know if you have any comment or that, or, or you, you want to sort of uh, take the fifth on that, but don't you think the feds should be putting at least one of those manufacturing facilities in Atlantic Canada and shouldn't it be on Prince Edward Island? Uh, my, my, answer to that is stay tuned <laughs> oh more okay. more more breaking news stay tuned. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> uh so i just still work I, to be done still work to be done there but yep stay tuned so we'll put a pin in that but we'll come back to you on that because i think that to me you know i agree with you about the big manufacturers but if the feds have a national strategy around vaccine production mm -hmm. 
for a variety of reasons, it would make sense to have one down here, but we'll stay tuned on that. I did want to ask you a little bit higher level question, Rory. Uh, um, We have been tracking, Don and I, the island's overall economic and population growth over the last decade plus. Really, it goes back to uh, after the Great Recession of 2008. Mm -hmm. Yep. The rest of the Atlantic Canadian provinces have struggled. There's no, there's no secret of that. Uh, PEI's GDP growth, average annual GDP growth, is about three times faster than the rest of the region combined over that period. Of course, uh, the island has led the country in immigration attraction, but also in exports growth, international exports growth. Yep. So I, I guess the question for you would be, what was the link between the success of the bioscience cluster and that overall do you have some thoughts around how the work done around biosciences has impacted the island's economic success overall uh, uh, over the last decade or so? Yeah, you know, really great question. Uh, you know, we do talk about this with some of our colleagues periodically. You know, I would. There's a whole lot of again, my colleague friend Stuart Baker would say it's the intangibles. Uh, when I think about, you know, what has gone on and so on, I go back to the, the recession and I go back to about 2012 in particular. Um, there was some sort of a psychological mind shift here. And I think it was because, you know, I'll put, I'll chalk it up. This is, you know, only surely partially right. But um, the, uh, that recession and a realization that governments were really not good at some of this economic development stuff. <laughs> uh, and there was an issue, an initiative I was, you know, party to uh, with the Chamber of Commerce in Charlottetown, Charlottetown area, um, which was called Island Advance. And it was some some folks that uh, from the private sector who led. We, we created. Um, I was on the board of the of the chamber at the time, but it was really about thinking beyond depending on government to figure this out. Yeah, what did we need to do in areas like? And there were only three. three and and Ron Keefe, who some of you will know, was a, one of those folks. He was the chair. Uh, and, and others, but the, the thought process was there are three things we need to be thinking about here, folks. Uh, access to capital, uh, immigration, uh, and innovation. And, uh, you know, and words that need definition and they need, you know, detail within them. But it was not so much the what, it was the who and the how. And, and we, we seem to have... Um, just maybe it was the perfect storm sort of thing, but also uh, a, an entrepreneurial attitude. And I think entrepreneurship was kind of in that innovation box, but uh, an attitude that, okay, the, the private sector has to come forward here and really figure this out in terms of economic development opportunities and, and where this can go. And government, absolutely, governments at all levels need to be a partner in this, but but really, you know, who has the best sense of where those opportunities are in global markets and, and where we can, can succeed with, with turning, you know, invention and, and, and ideas into new products and services that the world wants. And, and I think people being much more 
comfortable with the idea of, you know, we, we can sell in the world. We, and we had enough evidence of here and there, and the bio would just be one part of it. Like aerospace would be another, some of the, the food industries another. We, we can sell in the world. We kind of got beyond this kind of feeling of being too small and insignificant to make a difference. And, you know, there's psychology is a huge part of this. It's that and, and the leadership, I think, that came out of some of that work and private sector leadership uh, and, and not just talking heads, but people were willing I put it this way, and I always say this about our board, you know, early days of board of directors and our governance model, which is business, research, and government all kind of around the same table, as I say, pulling, you know, rowing together. Uh, but you need people that are willing to work beyond self-interest. You know, yes, it's going to benefit their business. And yes, you know, that their or their institution of higher learning, whatever it is, but they see the value proposition of putting you know, a strategy to work that they're part of, uh, but it's not all about them. If, ever, if people's purpose is only to what can I get out of this conversation, you usually you know, fail. Um, so, uh, and you have to be patient and you have to be in the long game because this is not a short term you know, proposition. So I'm, I'm rambling around here, but I think there's a, a mind shift that was really important. And I think it was you know, leadership in both public sector willingness of the public sector in in probably the elected officials i'm not sure the bureaucracy likes having to step back uh, often but they need to and and uh, allow the private sector kind of leadership in in terms of where can we go with the opportunities we have to to really take root so. uh rory uh we we've already mentioned that uh, uh pei's Kind of led the country in immigration attraction in recent years. <clears throat> uh, I, I wondered uh, what role the bioscience clusters had in um, attracting talent, entrepreneurs. We've already mentioned capital investment, but I've heard anecdotally that uh, a lot of uh, immigrants coming to PEI are coming there specifically for work in the bioscience uh, industry. Uh, these are high paying jobs for the most part. Um, and the thing that's really important about that is, uh, getting a good job for an immigrant really means that there's a higher likelihood of retaining them. And this is the big it, it, challenge that we've had in Atlantic Canada for some time. Can you give us a little bit of, you know, your thinking about how, what the role has been of the bioscience uh, sector in, in accomplishing immigrant attraction, uh, and retention? Yeah. Um, well, I I, th I think we've been a part of that. I wouldn't say we've been a huge part of the whole effort because I, I would go back to that same 2012 effort, you know, kind of getting getting embedded in the community a sense that immigration is not only okay, you know, socially and and so economically, but it's it's essential for us. And and I must say I've been one as a as an islander, I've been you know proud of the fact that that the community at large has not rebelled at the idea of immigration. And, you know, cause let's be frank that in some communities, that's a problem. People mm -hmm. are, whether it's jobs, whatever, whatever, there's kind of a, you know, it's a cultural response to the opportunity to bring newcomers in and help and not just, you know, help them integrate into the community. And we still don't have as, great a track record as we need to have in terms of retention. 
Um, so it's not like that's perfect by any means. But I will, to your point, now, I think in two ways, the biosector, but, but as I say, I don't think we're a huge part of it. We're, we're just part of the community's response to this, but we absolutely, you know, the companies are hiring people from around the world, um, you know, bright minds and skilled people and, and bringing them in. The immigration system is painful in, uh, in you know, enabling that at a speed that matters to business. It's, that's a problem. Um, it's got worse with COVID, obviously, and so on. But, um, but that's been uh, important to the growth of the sector is being able to bring people in from other parts of the world. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, and it's, it's becoming even more the case, people that aren't necessarily coming here for the job, um, you know, and we've been running, maybe we have time later to talk about our, our CASEL initiative, um, Skills and Training for Life Sciences, uh, but the cohorts that are going through some of the training programs now, there are, there are a significant percentage uh, of the individuals that are participating are, um, are newcomers to Canada, newcomers to Prince Edward Island, and they are absolutely, you know, looking for jobs in the sector. So we're having the influence both ways. We're helping on the retention side of people that are coming here and then trying to figure out their career paths and so on. And we're having the impact directly in terms of new hires that companies are bringing in. Rory, um, is anybody writing this story? Is anybody writing a book on this story right now? <laughs> no, no. We did a little something a few years ago that was kicking around that was trying to capture a little bit of some of the early thoughts, but no, we haven't. Uh, I just think of the traction that lately. that book, Unicorn in the woods got here recently uh, in New Brunswick. It got national coverage. It was a, you know, it was a really interesting story about just a couple of firms that had really taken off. And I thought reading that book, I thought, man, you know, the bioscience cluster on PEI could use a similar treatment. <laughs> so maybe, maybe either all the writers out there yeah. uh, should, should, uh, it, should connect. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I would like to think that we're only at chapter one, however, in everything that we've done so far, there's all kinds of more chapters to come, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting learning experience and, you know, to this point. So you've been talking uh, so far in our conversation about some of the reasons why We've seen success in the cluster, cluster, but I do want to sort of to nail it down a bit around what what I would call the secret sauce is. You know, we're trying to look at cannabis and ocean tech and cybersecurity and a no, number of other areas where the region and certain communities in the region have a, have a nascent um, capacity, and government and stakeholders are trying to to blow it up into something big. I don't know if they'll ever get to sixty firms and three hundred and sixty five million in sales, but certainly there is potential in some of these other areas. Um, what went right on the island? If you had to identify a few things around collaboration or government or industry or yeah. post-secondary, or, or even I, I love what you said about the role of the actual coordinating structure or what I call an intermediary, because yep. it pulls all the different players together. But I think, I think I'd like you to maybe elaborate a little bit more on what was the glue or the secret sauce that led to the success of, uh, of the bioscience cluster on the island. And the ongoing, as you said, you're really yes. only, only on chapter one of what will be a, hopefully a really impressive growth story moving forward. Yeah, well, a, a few things that um, I guess over time we would say if we've learned that, 
that have mattered in, in both hindsight and, and so on. And sometimes it's because we didn't get it all right and we had to figure that out. Um, but maybe repeating what I said earlier, having that um, that um, catalytic you know, inter- intervention uh, or intermediary, innovation intermediary, some folks would, would call what we do. Um, it, having Getting that right is absolutely crucial. So that foundation building piece, right model, the partnership, and, and communicating that in a way that everyone is comfortable. Governments have a different bottom line than the private sector does. Universities and colleges have a different bottom line. What matters to them is different. So the so the structure you put together has to respect those bottom lines and respect the role of of each of those kind of partners around the table and the financial community because that's you, know, you need money to grow companies and so on. So so understanding those players and and what matters to them and helping them understand each other so that you actually, you know, because there's lots of reasons why, you know, business and academia don't get along so well. And, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's that kind of communication. It's creating the vocabulary. How do we even talk about what we're doing here uh, in a way that gives people a sense of, of ownership of what's happening and it's not someone else. This is not the Bio Alliance, and then other folks are just around on for the ride. No, you folks around the table are you're the you're the real key to this, and and we're the facilitating structure. So it can't be about us. So ego has to go away. Um, you know, it can't be about me and the CEO of the Bio Alliance. That's it's got to be really the focus has got to be everywhere else. And I think what creates a trust, and one of my colleagues would say trusted space is kind of what we are, is that people know when we're talking to the BioLines, whether it's businesses or government, we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for you folks. This is this is all about helping everyone succeed because that's what it's going to take to grow this cluster. So these are some of the intangibles, a little hard to put your, you know, hand on and say that point to that thing that matters. These are the things that matter um, because human nature is a big part of you know, what what makes things succeed or fail. The, the long-term support of, of the public sector agencies, governments, ACOA, the province, um, even over time, the National Research Council and so on, that's crucial because, you know, at the stage we're still at, there's not enough money, even though we're partially funded by industry uh, as an organization is not enough to do the job. So you need to have public sector agencies who are willing to uh, contribute, you know, real tax dollars <clears throat> to, um, to make things run uh, and, and stick with it uh, for the long term. Now that only works if you've got results to show. I would argue that it's a return. It should be a return on investment calculation. Why does the byline still exist? Well, the government agencies are getting a pretty good return at this stage on on each taxpayer's dollar that's going in, and that should be you know you just kind of keep winding that up. And as long as we can keep putting up the numbers, it's a no-brainer, frankly, to continue to make investments not just in the kind of core operations, but but in the projects and the initiatives that within our strategy for growing the cluster, those cost money. There's a lot of, as I said, a lot of private sector dollars now that are driving the economic you know, uh, impact of this. 
but those seed dollars from governments in the right places at the right time and getting behind the projects that matter uh, has been absolutely crucial. If we didn't have that going on, in, you know, both from Ottawa and, you know, we've, we've uh, uh, had, you know, really good success in competitive, you know, situations. So we, we've got to be good at that too in bringing uh, public dollars to bear on the really strategic projects that are going to fill gaps in our ecosystem as we build, you know, that buzzword that didn't exist 15 years ago, but you're building out an ecosystem and, and you need to know, and the board is really important in informing, you know, what matters, that kind of looking at our strengths and weaknesses on a, on a daily basis and making sure we're moving the projects forward. Uh, doing it from outside of government. If you tried, I was inside government for 30 years. If you tried to do this stuff inside, you're dead. It's just not going to happen. Not in not in our political culture. Maybe in other countries, you know, it's different. Uh, Norway has an interesting model, a bit of a different way of, of doing economic development in partnerships and so on. Um, we're probably a little bit closer to that model, but you you can't do it. It's it's the the change in governments, etc. the sense that, that 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 thing, that new initiative was owned by one stripe of, of uh, party, but the next one doesn't like it for, you know, somebody doesn't like somebody. I mean, those things that can destroy what has to be a long-term commitment. It's, it's, a, it's a generational thing. You know, you tell people that when you start, they, they you know, you probably wouldn't get the funding, so you, you can't admit it, but it's, but it is something, you know, it's long-term uh, and uh, you, you just kind of make sure you get enough traction in early years to kind of have some evidence of impact and, and earn the right to pay, you know, to play the next card and keep going. Um, so industry leadership is really, really important. Um, I said it's about leadership um, and, and people from, you know, we had the, the really good, you know, situation of leaders at around our board table from industry, from academia and from government all of whom, for the most part, could see beyond self-interest in what we were doing and, uh, and give us some room to, you know, get the job done sort of thing. It, it's a lot of, you know, early days. There's a lot of people, typical Atlantic Canada, they're just betting on when you're going to fail, right? <laughs> so that's a, uh, you know, more expectation on the failure side than on the success side, but you just ignore that and carry on. Um, so those are some of the factors. I think communications, you know, again, this is about people and, and, you know, relationships, making sure you're sharing the credit for good things that happen. You know, don't take, don't take all the credit if you're this kind of central coordinating thing, you know, that you really aren't, you know, you're, you're just hoping that you're helping facilitate things happening, but other, other folks also need to get credit for what they're doing. And, and, you know, so it, it, it enhances, you know, re rewarding good behavior is a, is a good thing. Uh, so, so those are some of the things that, that really matter, I think, in terms of the uh, getting it right. Um, we, we've tried not, you know, another point, I guess, not to be bio everything in the world. We've tried to stay focused in some areas where we felt we could actually have some strategic advantage. That would be a strategic advantage for companies to be here versus anywhere else in the world, which is good companies have that choice. Um, and, um, and, and just a, a little bit off your question, but to reinforce your earlier point, while we don't, we're not going after multinationals directly to invest, the high quality companies that grow up 
in our backyard. We are we had zero multinationals when we started. We now have seven or eight multinationals who have invested in companies. So it just brings a whole lot of extra skills and expertise and sophistication to the cluster because you have have created that opportunity for those investments as well. Yeah, so uh, you made a strong point for the need for an arm's length uh, intermediary like the BioAlliance as a coordinating body, as a collaborative, uh, you know, center to bring all the players together. I think that that's really important. And I think that's what the uh, Canada's uh, Ocean Supercluster is all about as well, if I'm reading what they're doing. But you, you also mentioned something that I think bears repeating, and that's the importance of knowing what your outcomes should be. And, and having metrics to track your performance. I just want you to, you know, maybe what are the key lessons for other jurisdictions who are looking at cluster strategies in, ter- in this particular uh, uh, issue, on this particular issue? Yeah, um, well, I, I think it's, um, you know, it is about defining success and making sure you're clear on what what would you like to look like in 10 years time? What, what is the impact you want to have? What is going to be different in the community? What's going to be happening that, uh, you know, so you have, to, you have to be a bit of a dreamer here too, right? What is it that's going to be happening that, um, that will really reflect um, success? And some of that is metrics and, and impact on GDP, assuming you're an economic development uh, you're, you're a private sector-led economic development innovation intermediary is what you decide you're going to be, then it is about, you know, export sales and, and revenue growth and, and attracting uh, private sector investment and, and its job creation and so on. If those are the things that matter to, to you as an organization and to, the, and to your partners in, in the public sector who are going to be, you know, partners in this whole effort, then... Then that's really important. Alignment on that matters, um, and and then it's it's also in agreeing on what are the what are the ingredients. So to get to those metrics, to set some targets in you know five years out, whatever you know your model is, and and how are you going to get there, and what's different you know from what we did last five years. What do we need to really change up here, uh, and you know so what matters for. For us, for example, it's like, okay, well, science and technology is, is the underpinning foundation to this. Uh, what have we got? What do we need? How do, how do we add? You know, what are those research chairs that we need to be bringing in? What kind of infrastructure at a college level needs to be built out because we are we need more of that sort of thing? Um, the um, our, the uh, HR strategy, skills and talent, hugely important right now. It was always important to us. We've we've tracked quarterly a bunch of metrics around HR for 15 years, and in the last five, as I said, pressure is on. We've we've we can talk maybe if we have time about uh, future, um, you know, what what we're where we're going with key initiatives and so on. But the skills and training side of things is absolutely. One, so you need to pay attention to that. You can't grow businesses without skilled people uh, inside and, and outside and, and R&D and so on. Uh, access to capital, the right capital at the right time. Companies, you, it's great. I think we actually have a really good environment within um, public policy environment within the region, uh, supporting early stage companies and startups. Uh, it, it's really quite good. Um, 
and and we've had some very good successes across you know the the table in in various provinces as well. We need more of that for sure, but um, but that access to capital piece we need to do more in in that area. Um, infrastructure we've got no space. We're out of space for companies to grow into. We're just opening a new biomanufacturing incubator this month. Uh, we've got a significant loan on our shoulders on that one, but we've had support from. Uh, government agencies uh, as well, federal and provincial. So that's important as a, as a manufacturing incubator. We need a second one of those. We need more wet lab space for early stage businesses. So those kind of conversations and public policy generally is important. The programs and services that that agencies and, and not just kind of federal government, provincial government, but national research councils, the, the tri-council uh, funding agencies, Future skills can anyone who really has a mandate that fits with some of these priority areas. So, understanding those things, what really matters to companies and how you successfully help companies grow, um, is really important as well. So. Yeah, and I I just I'm glad you clarified that because when you started on the metrics conversation, you said we're tracking sales, uh, you know, and, and so on, and that is fine, that's a great top line number, but that you can't control the companies per se, right? That's their, right. the quality right. of their products and their own sales efforts. But yep. I'm glad you then pivoted into what are those things we can influence and control, access yep. to capital policies, talent pipeline, research, all of the pieces yep. that, that you can control. Because And then that, if you get that right, it will drive top line sales. Because again, yep. at the end of the day, it's the private sector firms that are out there hustling and selling Yes. And selling, but I would I suspect if if some of these smaller firms had trouble, you know, with developing markets, that there would could also be cluster support around how you do that, how you effectively build uh, a global footprint for sales. So that's I appreciate that. But I did want you to clarify what you mean by ROI when you're talking about an ROI for government. Are you is that a straightforward analysis where if government puts in a million of taxpayer dollars and gets Three million of incremental tax dollars. That's a three to one ROI. Is that what you mean when you say ROI for the government? Yeah. Yes. What are they putting in and what are they getting out? Uh, it's and um, so in you know in early early days, of course, it's it's a net it's a net expenditure by governments. Uh, and but now there's absolutely no question it's a net revenue generator, which has to pay for all the other services and so on. My, my point is that you, you've got um, that kind of investment is what taxpayers should love, right? We're putting our tax dollars down and we're we're seeing a relative multiplication of, of those dollars that is helping our society generally in all the other important ways in education and healthcare and so on that are net costs to society. So, yeah, I think that's it's uh, it's still the best metric. Um, the government partners, as we get as our numbers improve all the time and it's a, a big net gain, they it doesn't make it necessarily easier for the get them to write the check, but it, it should at least you've got really good evidence that this is going to more than likely pay the bills. So, you know, get your wallet out sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, we're almost out of time, but I didn't want to let you go without uh, having a look at where the bioscience sector will be in, let's say, five years from now. Where is it going to be? 
compared to where it is today? Yeah, well, maybe a quick, you know, um, would be a mistake not to mention some of the major macro influencers of the last couple of years. I mean, COVID-19 has put a spotlight on biotech, bioscience in a way that, you know, there's nothing else could and, and people's kind of awareness of, of these things. Um, it's also driven home in spades inside public policy circles in the country, um, you know, that maybe maybe there's some things that happened over the last decade or so in terms of public policy and its relationship with the sector and so on that have not been very helpful to to growing. We've, we've lost ground in, in biomanufacturing, for example, et cetera. So, you know, maybe we haven't, not maybe, we haven't created the royal we, haven't created the right policy environment that allows for for companies to want to invest and thrive in Canada in in some of those some of those areas. So you know we're very good at the upfront R and D part, and we're product you know the development the new technologies, some of which have um, been important contributors. Companies in Canada that have been important contributors to the the vaccines that we're now benefiting from and trying to to win this battle, um, but we haven't been very good at, at capturing the whole supply chain and the benefits of that in, in Canada. So that's changing. I mean, there's been about a billion dollars invested by the federal government, plus uh, probably at least that much, if not more, by private sector partners in expanding our base. That That's going to happen over the next few years. Huge demand for skilled, trained individuals. That's where Castle, um, it will will come in. I'll come back to that. But so that whole context is going to drive this industry is going to grow, um, you know, exponentially in Canada, and not just in this area of biologics and so on. But I think it's just going to lit a fire that will have some some really positive impacts in terms of innovation and, and commercialization and, and global um, global market. Uh, and sales for companies in the sector. So that's really positive. It's going to mobilize a lot of capital, has already, and and it attracts brain power, which is, you know, you, that's the real fuel for these things is the brain power behind the businesses, both on the science side and the business side. So, so that's really kind of a, a great, you know, place to be if, if you're in the sector and you, you, you're a student wondering what to do with your life. There's a, a lot of the big solutions for what's facing mankind, whether we're talking about climate change or or food security in the world or global pandemics, the solutions for those things all have biotech components to them. So pretty exciting way if you want to contribute to to how to improve the world around us. Um, it's a, I think it's a pretty strong choice for, for our next generation to be there. So. Um, so that's that's important. I think uh, context. We're we're focused on the skills and training piece uh, nationally through our Canadian Alliance for Skills and Training and Life Sciences. You're going to hear lots more about that over the next while. Through a again a it's it's a kind of a bioalliance model. It's a a catalyst. It's a partnership developer both with academia and the private sector to fill some pretty significant gaps that are going to be coming up. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, Somewhere between three and five thousand new employees required, skilled people in the sector over the next three to five years. Oh, this is significant numbers that need to be trained, and it's it's not a 
you know, boot camp for for two weeks. It's not that kind of uh, training, I'm afraid. So Castle will be a contributor nationally to that. So we're going to be, again, punching, I think, well above our weight in terms of uh, bringing the content that is necessary to do that training to uh, Canada. And on the infrastructure side, we've got some uh, significant builds that have to happen to accommodate growth in the sector. So those are the kind of key areas uh, right now for us. And we run an incubator program that I haven't mentioned with 50 companies in it called Emergence. So that gives us a, a, a huge amount of experience and exposure to, again, what matters to help these early stage companies uh, grow. So a few things we're into. Do you want to venture a guess as to what your top line will be in five years? Will it be 500 million? Will it be 600 million? Do you have, I don't think anybody's going to hold you to that, Rory, (laughs) but do you have any kind of a guess? Yeah, that's, well, that's my, our board of directors job is to hold me to that. (laughs) Even though it's the companies that are doing all the work, but it, it, um, this strategic plan to 2025 would say 500 million um, and uh, 3000 employees in the sector and, you know, other metrics, uh, we're doubling about every five years. So by 2030, uh, I, you know, I would say we'll be a billion dollars in, uh, so somewhere in there, I think it's, uh, and it's, there's no limit. I mean, that's the, the other, you know, amazing thing about this kind of sector. You're not limited as you know, I've been in agriculture. I love, you know, the industry and ag and fisheries and so on. They're still part of my heart, but, um, you're limited by geography. You're limited in, in what you can do in a value-added side. Fisheries is limited. You've got quotas. You've got sustainability concerns. So our, our, our major industries to date um, have limits to growth as much as they're always going to be an important part of the economy. But um, other sectors like, like bio, the, it's, it's, you're only limited by your imagination and, uh, and brain power. So... So the sky is the limit in that area. So if you are successful, Rory, you're talking about overtaking agriculture as the largest sector, let's say the largest private sector uh, part of the economy by 2030, which would be incredible uh, and a yeah, good roadmap for yeah. the others. I just want to ask yeah. you one last quick question because we are running out of time here. Uh, and that's really about advice for other nascent cluster development efforts across the region. Um, you know, somebody from Newfoundland or Labrador came to you and said, look, we're, we're, we've got some opportunities around fintech or something. We've got a, a, an engaged university. We've got government interest. We've got private sector interest. What would be your advice to them in the early stages to get that cluster going and give it the best chance for success? Um, in, engage the private sector. Hopefully, hopefully the private sector is already leading the conversation, that's where you're most likely to have success and brings something to kind of the public policy conversation. Um, but you have to have that leadership in the private sector that that's going to drive it. And, and that kind of commitment, uh, as I say, the leadership beyond self-interest is crucial part of that. Um, governments have to be thoughtful and I say the, the elected officials and, and, and you know senior officials but you know it's you got to back off you know you, you have to let these things support them and and get comfortable with a role where you're not in charge okay so Atlantic Canada we're still too dependent on governments to figure these things out for us 
And, and so, and part of that is governments love to be loved. So, you know, you, you want to be, you know, be, you know, seen to be leading on these things. You don't have to be, you can take, you know, we, we like nothing more than giving our, our government partners credit because they've done great things by putting the resources in the right place with some guidance, maybe from our board and our, you know, our, our cluster, uh, they'll get lots of credit for that. The numbers will prove it, but you don't have to be seen to be in charge and, and have the bureaucracy out in front and, and frankly, not being helpful. So it's the, getting the partnership right and the, that balance of power, if you will, right? Sharing power and authority appropriately. Uh, and that, that's really important. So yeah, that, I would give that advice. <laughs> Rory Francis, thanks for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. Thank you. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. You've been listening to the latest episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network. Mark Legere and Tyler McLean helped produce this episode. You can subscribe to the show by searching for Huddle Insights on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please give the show a rating and a review. Don and David will be back again next week.